Good morning Interweb, welcome back to the Artifact Scene podcast. In this month's episode, to base 12 or not to base 12? Mass nouns, they're fun. We speculate as to what would happen to climate zones on high obliquity worlds. Retrograde climates, they're also fun. What's not fun is that raids are occurring in the city of Otyev, and we round it all out by talking about various TV shows. All that and more in this month's episode. Okay, start the show. Let's start the show. Last time, Bill, we uh, talked a bit about scientific advancement. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to re- re-litigate that, that topic, but <laughs> I do want to bring up a fun graph that was submitted by you uh, slash imitation Sasquatch. Um, and it's the old scientific advancement graph but like you know made better by including more information so people who are listening it's this is uh, chapter art and it's on the video um i really like this <laughs> damn you finno-korean hype war it would have been so much better if that had not happened if it hadn't been for the finno-korean hyper war we could have colonized the hyper multiverse by now exactly yeah uh, and i love the historically attested worldwide flood and it's just it's it's great it's very mm. very fun um i want to see this graph uh, extended to include the uh whole in culture left by the departure of our uh it, of the aliens that brought life to this planet i want to <laughs> I, th- I think there's this graph is still not complete um we can make it better um so yeah so that was that was just a quick little thing um we have uh, two emails i'd like to look at if that's okay bill of course so uh, we got an email from Harry Cook, and Harry Cook sends us uh, the number system from their language, uh, Old Pachad, uh, or Old Pachade. I'm going to mispronounce all these names. Forgive me, Harry. Um, there's a couple of, like, they, they submitted, like, a whole big email uh, with lots and lots of things in it. I, we can't really address all of them because we'll be here all day, but there's a couple of small points that I think are worth thinking about. And I just want to throw them on air and we can have a discussion about conlang. You know the jazz. Um, so their number system is a base 12 number system. Uh, it's kind of inspired by the Celtic languages. Um, they have five sets of numbers, a disjunctive set of numbers, which is just the numbers on their own, uh, numbers used for uh, higher animate non-mass nouns, number used for lower animate animals, count nouns, and they have ordinals. So it's kind of like a more fleshed out Irish sort of jazz because Irish has a bunch of these uh, kind of weird number distinctions. Um, And Mm -hmm. just for the sake of it, I'm going to attempt to count to seven in this language. Here we go, right? Uh, One, hore. Two, evek. Three, ezul. Four, echtun. Five, echled. Six, uh, oh god that's hard six seven keza is my best attempt at this um which i think sounds really neat i think there's a nice uh phonesthetic going on there mm. now there's a so there's a couple of things that uh i think are worth bringing up here first of all this is a base 12 number system and i do love myself some base 12 or some non-base 10 bases but I've been finding of late that the more I um, look into number systems, the more, or the more I kind of work with number systems in conlangs, um, I find myself gravitating towards base 10 
um, more and more. Because uh, I used I used to always oh. by standard be like, okay, it's always base 12 or base 16 or base 6 or something. Um, but like, you know, if you're conlang for humans, base 10 or base 20 is just like the natural thing to do. So if you're going for a naturalistic conlang, um, very often I find myself going, am I only just doing base 12 because it's cool and I find it academic? Like base 10 or base 20 kind of make more sense. Like there is a reason why we find base 10 or base 20 like everywhere. Um, like it completely dominates the number uh, the number landscape cross-linguistically. Um, so I just want to put it out there like base 12, cool. But are you doing it because it's cool or because there's like a good naturalistic sort of reason to, to do it? And not that there's anything wrong. Obviously, you can just go, I want base 12. They happen to count base 12 and that's fine. But like, um, yeah, the way I see it, sometimes I just don't think about it and I go base 12 because it's cool. Um, and also, if you work with base 10, you can do cool like uh, um, lexical sources, like the number for five can be derived from the word for a hand because five digits. Um, if you're working on mm-hmm. 20, like the number for 15 could be derived from like left foot that sort of thing. And you can kind of work in a bit of autonomy, uh, anatomy there, which is a little bit harder to do in the non-base 10 systems. Um, so just a little point. Base 12, cool. Is Are you doing it just because it's cool? And maybe consider the more air quote standard bases. Um, make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, there's another point. Uh, the Harry said that they have higher animate non-mass nouns. So if you have a high animate non-mass noun, you count it with the high animate non-mass number set. Um, That seems to imply that there are higher animate mass nouns, uh, which I think is a bit weird, and I'd be intrigued to to hear what Harry is thinking there. Um, So, just because I need to refresh what all of these terms mean sometimes... Animate is like a, a a noun class distinction. I think it's like a, like a, a noun gender. It, it, no, it need not be. Uh, it can be, but oh. you, languages can just care about animate things more than they care about inanimate things. Oh, okay, um, okay, Grand. But it, but you can totally have like an animate inanimate um, noun class system. But not necessarily. Okay. But so not necessarily. what would an example of a of an animate mass noun be? See, that's the thing. Most of the time, if you have some degree of, if you have a noun that is animate, it will be counted. I can't actually think of an animate thing that that languages treat as mass. Um, because we only treat, well, okay, speaking from English here, we treat non-animate things as mass, like water, coffee, that sort of thing. Right. It'd be really weird to have like, because the animates are like your people, your animals, that sort of thing. Crowds, maybe? Is there like, talking about like masses of... of yeah, I mean, yeah. Like a a, a, a meadow? Uh, well, a meadow would be uh, would be inanimate. Well, no, as, as in the grass in the meadow. Uh, yes, but grass, uh, this is a thing that um, newbie conlangers uh, um, fall into, and I've done this before, much to my chagrin. Um, we tend to think of like plants and stuff as being animate because like they're alive, but like cross-linguistically, plants are like super low down on the animate scale. Right. Um, most languages will, will treat all plants as just being no different from rocks in right. terms of uh, animacy scale. Um, so a forest of ants then. A forest events, sure. I mean, I guess crowds, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's just, yeah, most of the time when I'm working with these things, it's just animate stuff 
are always countable. Yeah. Um, because like, you know, we care about being able to say, you know, one women, two women, etc. We we care to be uh, we care about doing that. Um and with an- inanimate stuff like rocks, you can just be like one rock, two rock, three rock. There's no countability there. It's all treated as mass. Mm-hmm. So it'd be intrigued to see if, if Harry wants to get, get leave some something in the chat or send us another email what, what's going on there. Um yeah, higher animate non-mass nouns implies the existence of higher animate mass nouns, which is perhaps a little bit weird. Um so just just a thing to point out. Um and then the other thing is they mentioned that mass nouns, so again, stuff like water um, or uh, what's another one? Corn would be another one. Um, coffee, that sort of thing. Um, the mass nouns cannot take number, which is pretty standard. We can't go, I have one water. I have two waters. Like if you have two buckets of water, you can't just be like, I have two waters in front of me. That's not a thing that most languages distinguish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always worth bearing in mind, just a little tip, Pluralizing mass nouns can result in um, a change of meaning. So like in English, if you go, I have one water or uh, give me a water, give me two waters, that doesn't refer to water, the substance that refers to a bottle of water. So there's like a change in meaning. And the same thing with coffee. Like you can't be like, you can't hold two coffee beans in your hand and go, I have two coffees. That makes no sense. You have two coffee beans. But you can say, give me one coffee, give me two coffee. And that changes the meaning from coffee as a substance to coffee the drink. Mm. Um, so pluralizing mass nouns is kind of fun as a way of deriving um, new new terms. So just a thing to pass, pass on. Um, and that's it. Yeah, the higher animate non-mass thing. I'm intrigued about that. Uh, mass nouns cannot take number. Standard, but sometimes you can give them number to derive new words. And base 12, very cool. But are we doing it just because it's cool? Um, that's my, those are my points for Harry's email. Cool. I'm I'm still stuck in this, this like thinking about the, not, well, not still stuck, but I'm, I'm thinking about this pluralizing mass nouns thing. Um... And, and kind of poetic way, or not poetic exactly, but sort of like, you know, taking the waters uh, to, to go for somewhere to to bathe, like to go on a holiday somewhere where the waters are nice or airs or vapors or kind of, I know those are all kind of old fashioned examples, but I, I, I need to unpick that a little. I think there's something interesting about, about those possibilities. I mean, yeah, for sure. And, and like what languages decide... Um, what substances like each language decides is mass or is count, it varies loads. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can totally have a language that's perfectly okay with pluralizing water, for example, and not having it necessarily change meaning. Um, Or you can have just like a system that's kind of like, um, kind of does it both. Like we kind of, uh, kind of do it uh, in English. Like you can say like the waters of earth kind of a little bit yeah yeah totally, totally. Um, but that but you know you, but again there's a slight change of meaning there that you're not referring yeah. to multiple substances of water you're actually referring to multiple bodies of water which is yeah different so there's there's a whole thing there mass nouns are fun they're really fun and you can do really fun things with them um i find um and i often i often really enjoy thinking of ways of making like non-English mass nouns. So like, for example, stone. Stone in English is a count noun. So because it can take plural marking. One stone, two stones, three stones. Mm-hmm. But like, it, there's no reason why it couldn't, stone couldn't be treated like a substance like water. So you'd have one stone, 
two pebbles of stone, three pebbles of stone, and you need to put in a little word to help count it, like treat yeah. stone as mass. So I really enjoy thinking about those things. Um, anyway, oh, but an avalanche of stone. An avalanche that's using of it as a mass noun, as opposed to you, you, you're not saying an avalanche of stones. Yeah, exactly. So you're treating it like a mass noun in that context. Exactly. Yeah. So think. So you know, in English, we treat stone as being a count noun, but sometimes I think it's fun to be like. Can I make? Can I think about this as a mass noun instead? And would that make but, sense? But I, th- I think I think we do treat it as a mass noun in English sometimes. I mean, yes, I guess sometimes, but like obviously not always, because you can be like, yeah. there are two stones in the garden yeah. there, you know. Um, but anyway, so that was the old number system from Old Pachada. Uh, again, horrifically mispronounced. Uh, <laughs> cool phone aesthetic, Harry Cook. Uh, I enjoyed it. Nice one. Okay, and then uh, one more email. Oh God, okay, I should actually I should have opened with this. We went through the the emails and the topics and things, and this could be an embarrassingly short show because, like, usually in the, just before we move on to emails, usually we have something to talk about in the green room. If it's not a book review uh, day, there's something going on in our lives. But before we started recording, Bill and I were kind of like, we don't really have much to talk about. So this could be a case that we do one more email, uh, build us a world building, and then we leave. And if I feel really bad, but I don't want to just pad out the show for the sake of padding out the show. Um, so this might be a bit of a weird episode, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, our final email uh, comes from a, a Adam, um, Adam Jennings. Uh, and they write an email uh, to us regarding axial tilt and retrograde climates. And the minute I hear all of these things, I my heart rate goes up because these are tricky things uh, to get. Um, so uh, my name is Adam, and I've been listen- I've been an avid listener to your videos and podcasts for a few years now. In my most recent world building project, I've decided to make a world with both a retrograde orbit and an axial tilt of around about 75 degrees. I understand by our solar system standards, a retrograde orbit would mean a negative axial tilt value, but the equatorial plane of my planet is situated like such and would mean a positive axial tilt value. With this in mind, I've been struggling recently with the lack of information on the internet as a whole, as well as your channel and podcasts regarding high obliquity on climate. I know that this would result in extreme seasonal variation, but I would like to still create a climate classification system and was also fascinated with the perspective if Earth had a retrograde spin. And they include a a bunch of really cool maps, actually, and maps that if if they were around when I was making my retrograde climates video, I would have included. Again, chapter art, you can you can check it out, folks. Um so there's two things in this email. Um, one is just a quick point about like the negative value on axial tilts, just a quick clarifying point. And the other one is uh, dodging the high obliquity climates question, basically. Um, <laughs> first is that um, Adam says, yeah, what was it? The I understand by our solar system standards, a negative orbit would mean a negative axial tilt value. That's not necessarily the case. It's it's kind of bloody arbitrary how we label these things. We just pick a convention and stick with it. Um, like Venus, for example, has a retrograde rotation. Um, it rotates in a retrograde manner. Um, and as such, we can either say that its axial tilt is negative three degrees, or similarly, you can just say it's, uh, it's um, tilt is 177 degrees, which is also a retrograde spin. It just all depends on how you label it. So you can either just say, hey, we never talk negative numbers and everything's just in positive numbers, or we use negative numbers to include 
retrograde motions, it doesn't really matter. It's like it, there's nothing about our system that it says that, oh, we must use negative numbers in our system and in a different system, a different solar system, it would be entirely different. It doesn't make a difference. Um, so if your planet has 75 degrees of axial tilt, um, 75 would imply prograde. So I would say that it should be, what it should be, 105 degrees would be the same thing, but retrograde. Or call it negative 75. Either way, it's the, it's the same thing. Um, and honestly, I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Or you could just label it 75 degrees and then go orbits in a retrograde manner. Like, it really doesn't matter. I'll link to the Wikipedia page on the axial tilts so you can kind of figure out how we um, go about thinking about these things. Um, it's all arbitrary, basically. Um, agree? I think so, yeah. That makes sense to me. Cool. And then the, the thing about how do you do high obliquity climates? Um, yeah, so high obliquity climates are hard, and that's one of the reasons why I never made a video, because much like you, Adam, uh, I just could not find decent information um, on what happens when axial tilts get extremely high. The big issue here, and this is, I guess, I guess a gut thing based on little to no uh, research on my part, but I feel like the higher the the axial tilt gets, the more the climates on said planet will be uh, unique to that planet, i.e. not found on Earth. So I, I suspect new climate types would be created. And as such, that's very hard to talk about because, again, we have sample size of like one habitable world here. Um, Wait, Really? Well, yeah, because, again, I could be totally wrong because I'm just going on gut here, but, like, um, there was a paper, I'll link in the show notes, I think I still have it in a folder, where it said that uh, above 58 degrees axial tilt, right, the polar regions uh, averaged out throughout the year get more solar insulation than the tropical regions. Um, that scenario just doesn't happen on Earth. Uh, so there would be some sort of climate there that we just don't experience on Earth. Um like at best, it might be the polar regions might be some sort of continental climate with like massive temperature swings that we don't see on Earth. But I suspect, wow. I suspect that just there'd be a new classification there. Um, so again, I could be wrong, but that's my feeling there. Um, and it makes sense because if you, if you imagine like taking the whole, um, the whole planet to an extreme, like as in make it, it's actually till like 90. So it's like rolling along uh it's orbit like the the climate distributions on a world like that are going to look nothing like earth um, and yeah. because like a whole bunch of the climates that we have um that are based on seasonality just don't exist because at such an extreme orbit seasonality is, is reduced um and then you have yeah equator being cold and poles being uh either incredibly warm or incredibly cold so like yeah i think the higher you go in axial tilt the further you depart from earth okay yeah okay that makes sense yeah that does make sense yeah, yeah. The, the more these climate zones are like unique and we can't just be like that's coping climate zone x because that's probably not gonna be the case um so I can't answer the question because I don't know. I don't know what happens at high obliquity worlds, and I usually avoid high obliquity worlds like the plague um, because they are extremely, extremely complicated. And I would say in Adam's case here, not to you know be like, please rework your world building project here, but um, I tend to, when I uh, do things, I tend to try and keep things, like hold the variables constant, but change one. Um, so in the case of this planet here, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to make it like, 
fairly earth-like, so a fairly earth-like um, axial tilt, everything else is pretty earth-like, same size, whatever, but change, but change one parameter, and that is that it spins backwards. Uh, mm-hmm. And just in doing that one little tweak, because I'm a big proponent of just like modding a thing, don't go for a wholesale real design of what earth-like planets should be. Take Basically take earth and change small things um, to, to have like drastic effects. And I think that would be uh, a useful thing to do, and it would avoid the question of high obliquity, would also generating a bunch of fun climate zones because it would not be like Earth because it's retrograde. Um, so that's that's my advice there. So if anyone does know any information on high obliquity worlds outside of like seasons would be intense, um, please do let me know because I would I would thoroughly enjoy that, uh, enjoy reading about that. Uh, and in particular, I'd love simulations. They're the big thing. If someone could find papers where people simulate worlds at various um, obliquity rates and track the climates there, again, I would absolutely adore that. Um, so yeah, that's Adam's uh, point. So in summation, or Adam's email, in summation, uh, don't worry about the labeling of a uh, of your axial tilt, positive, negative, a mixture who cares? Uh, as long as you know what's going on and you can convey it to others. Uh, high obliquity climates are really hard. Consider avoiding them because they might produce fairly unique non-Earth-like outcomes. Um, and that's that. Thank you, Adam, for, for writing in. Sorry, I can't answer your question. Um, I have a question mm-hmm. and a point. And a point. Um, I'll Which, go the point first, actually. Point first. Um, I really like this climate map of, of retrograde Earth. I think this is really fun. Uh, which um, one? Which one was that? Is it the one that is currently chapter art? <laughs> uh, only you can answer that question, Edgar. <laughs> well, I, and anyone who's currently listening, but um, at this po- moment of recording, I cannot. Uh, so, so the colorful one. Um, uh, this is the one where the Sahara is no longer a desert. Well, th- so there's a kind of a satellite image, and there's a climate like a Copen climate yeah, map. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Copen climate map is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, and there's retrograde backwards. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, uh, and I just, I think it's it's really funny if you look like at uh, Southern Africa, like kind of anywhere south of, of the Democratic Republic of Congo, kind of, that's just sort of flipped around. Like the, the, the patch of, of hot desert there is is on the east instead of on the west. It's just kind of neat. Yeah, and uh, that, that's pretty a, simple. That's a consequence of uh, yeah. the ocean currents being flipped. And it's the yeah. sa- same shtick with, because if you notice on the retrograde planets, all the deserts are on the eastern coasts, where yeah. on in our planet, all the deserts are on the western coast and everything just, yeah. just flips around. And I I find this quite useful sometimes when doing world building, like I'll draw out a map and then mentally I'll just go to myself, okay, all right, so if I assume prograde, you know, desert here, desert there, okay, cool. Let me assume retrograde for a second. Oh, okay, so that changes everything because like there's an outer, there's this rain shadow and we get X and I usually end up picking either prograde or retrograde based on looking at a world map and seeing which of the two will produce the most uh, the most fun outcomes, mm. which I think is fun. Uh, I love the fact that, yeah, we have like Mississippi is like Cairo, basically. Um, mm. Hong Kong is like Dubai. Uh, all of Australia, the, the outback has basically disappeared um, for all intents and purposes. And my favorite thing with the retro climate is that Ireland is now like Canada. Um, <laughs> because I mean, like growing up, I used to never realize, I, I just like, I never really thought to myself just how far north um, the greater Scilly Isles actually are. 
Um, mm. And it's actually like scary. Like, you know, we're, we're level with like, yeah, with like Canada, a bit of Siberia. And it's only because of the Gulf Stream that we have a yeah. fairly okay climate. You flipped, you, 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 uh, ret- um, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, uh, flip, the, yeah, you flip the rotation rate and then the Gulf Stream just goes away. <laughs> and so Ireland is like this, this Canadian yeah. snowy wasteland now, which I think is bad. And now Newfoundland and, and New England and Cape Breton get, get the, the, I don't know, what would you call it? The, the Senegal stream. I have the Senegal stream. I have, uh, I, I have not looked into this a lot, but a, a point just just comes up. Uh, give me, hold on, give me one second. Okay. Uh, DSA. Oh no, that makes sense. Sorry, I was about to say I think North America is wrong, but it's not. I just misread the um, the the climate zones because okay. uh, a couple of if you look at our actual Earth, like the way it currently is. Um, and you look at the, uh, the parts of Asia, you'll see that Asia is a mess of colors in a mm-hmm. way that the other, uh, like the Americas aren't. And that's because of the monsoon, the Asian monsoon. Um, so it's one like a rookie error that can happen when you go, I'll flip the climates and I'll just transport all the Asian climates into the Americas. And mm-hmm. then there you, you have it. But I, I suspect America, the Americas is not, or North America is not... Um, large enough to generate such a monumental monsoon the way that Central Asia is. Because right. cent- Central Asia, hella big. Like, mm. seriously big. Um, real big. Real big. And its monsoon basically affects all of Eastern Asia. Like, it's nuts. All the way up mm. into Siberia it is affected by the monsoon. Like, it's it's absolutely insane. Um, anyhow, sorry, I digress. I digress. Yes, Bill, this is a fun map. It is indeed chapter art. Everyone should have a look. <laughs> Um, and that is unless you've oh no you said you had a question I did have a question so you have a planet with a 90 degree rotation okay sure I don't so, do I don't do high ubiquity worlds build it's just uh, wait for the answer to be I don't know but, but continue this isn't about climate this is just a purely mechanical question sure okay so the the axis is pointing at the sun like Correct. The, the the line of the axis okay now 90 degrees later, is it still pointing at the sun or is it pointing in the same kind of absolute direction as it was earlier? If I understand you correctly, the answer is no, because if it was changed... It's, I, I, I said two things. And I don't know what no means. I said, is it this or is it this? Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, 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 okay hold on. So um, if, if by absolute direction you mean that the same axis is pointing, the same end of the axis is pointing at the sun... Um, then no, that's that's not what I mean by absolute direction. So mm. it's like okay, it's it's pointing at, at twelve o'clock, right? And the sun is in the middle of of the clock, right? Sure. Now, so when it, ninety degrees later, is it still pointing towards the middle, or is it pointing like up towards it, the top of the clock? Yeah, it's it, it's it's pointing up towards the clock, top of the clock because okay. if it, if it was pointing still towards the sun, you have a tightly locked planet. Yes, but a tidally locked planet that's also rotating. Because it's, that's, that's not exactly the same as being tidally locked. Because if it's tidally locked, isn't it, it's rotating... At the same rate, but... Uh, oh, wait, no, let me think. Uh, you wouldn't get that scenario, because if the same face... If you're doing this... Hold on, I'm just... Uh, for, for, for people who aren't currently in the same room that I am, I am spinning my finger around 
to attempt to get my head around this. Yeah, so if you're f doing that, you're rotating along like that, you shouldn't be able to rotate because if one face is pointing towards the sun, there's no reason why a planet would do that. They have to be some sort of weird outside force that maintains it spinning like that and also maintaining its face of sun. Its spin should become locked, I think. So what you're saying is correct, Bill. Yeah. It, it's spinning. So like, yeah. It, I wasn't making any statement. No, no. Well, hold on. No, no. no the, question you, the, question you, the question you said was like, does it still face 12 o'clock? You, you are correct. So if it's like, if we're at 12 o'clock, planet and sun are aligned, uh, the axis is pointing towards the sun. 90 degrees later, the axis is pointing, um, yeah, vertically up and down. Um, and then 90 degrees later again, the axis again is pointing towards the sun and 90 degrees, it's up yeah. and down again. Uh, so if you were at the North Pole... Uh, a solar cycle is the same as a year cycle. Because if you're... So at 90 degrees, you're looking directly at... The, the sun is directly over... Or at, at the start, the sun is directly overhead. So at 90 degrees, then it's directly, like, on the horizon, or it's, it's exactly, yeah. like, a quarter of the way around. So a, so yeah. it's the same length. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's very hard to think in 3D on the fly, but I think so. That makes logical sense to me. I might include a uh, a bit of chapter art here uh, yeah. to help clear this up because there's a lot of like 90 degrees, vertical, up, down, <laughs> 12 o'clock. <laughs> but yes, um, it's it's basically what Uranus does. Uranus is, I think it has 97 degrees off the top of my head. Um, right. Uranus basically is that. Um, again, for all intents and purposes. So anyway, that was Adam's email and your 1.1 question, correct? Yes. Cool. Thank you, Imitation Sasquatch. Thank you, Harry Cook. Thank you, Adam Jennings. Um, Thank you very much. Follow-up, finito. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. I am excited for world building, Bill. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's do some world building. Um, give us the intro, you know. The usual jazz. We've been at this long enough. Everyone knows we what's going on. We've been at this long enough. Um, so uh, this this is the usual. It is a letter. Um, and it is more... Uh, it, it is telling us more about the, the social upheaval currently um, going on in Abeski society. Cool. Servi, I write to you with urgent news. Your husband and Mapnir are fled from Utvev. I cannot commit to paper where. He said you would know the place of sanctuary, and he will await you there. I do not know how much Enclan has told you of the dire situation here. The bailiffs, their numbers swollen with auxiliaries and bolstered by patrols of company troops, have been ruthlessly eliminating any hint of protest or discontent among the people. Daily we hear of another raid or reprisal, and the courts swell with groundsfolk accused of sedition or other crimes, to be sold off for servitude in depots or in distant colonies. The broadsheets, when they are circulated, no longer tell us what passes in the other cities, just banal tales of local society and local trade. I expect and fear the situation to be much the same in Zhikav, and I can only hope that you are safe. Do not trouble yourself to reply. 
I cannot promise that I will remain free to accept your letter, or that communication between the cities shall be possible much longer. Simply do everything in your power to reach Enclan and Mapnir. I must tell you how they came to flee the city. A brutish raid was carried out upon our district the evening before the last market day. The bailiffs, backed by a complement of sullen Tamari marines, swept through the building, claiming to search for a gang of youths who had daubed slogans in support of the nomadiers upon the barracks wall. Such slogans appear daily now. Though we have scuffles and brawls, we yet have no strikes or mutinies of our own, though the chatter upon Otfeld's walls foretells it may happen soon. In the course of this raid, Velina, she who lived upon the second floor, was dragged forth from her rooms as the bailiffs claimed to have discovered a concealed printing press in her apartments. Enclan, witness to these proceedings, remonstrated with the bailiffs, protesting in cordial terms that Velina was as like to conceal a gun battery or a tamed arvix in her apartments as a printing press. Where, indeed, could she hide one in mean rooms such as ours? The bailiff officer took great offence to this interference in his lawful duties and attempted to arrest Enclan in turn. Gentle, kind Enclan, never a strikist nor a mutineer, not even in his idle thoughts, and yet arrested now for speaking on behalf of an innocent neighbour. Mapnir and I followed them as they took the prisoners out of the building, where the bailiff's party was set upon by a gang of youths, perhaps those they had originally sought. When the bailiff leading Enclan in chains was struck by a cobblestone, he slipped his bonds in the tumult and escaped back through the building into the yards beyond, taking Mapnir with him. He bade me to gather some possessions from your apartments and meet him below his shop one hour later, where he gave me instructions to write you this letter. I know not the means of his escape from the city, nor his destination, but only that he has fled to a place of refuge known to you both. I fear that we may not meet again. I doubt your return to Otvev will be soon. I wish you only safety and security, Servi. Safety and security for all three of you. May these troubled times of ours soon be over. Your friend and neighbour, Naruna. Letter intercepted in the possession of known Erthani agent. The author has been arrested and is awaiting secondary interrogation. Oh snap, the italics are back and they're hitting hard. <laughs> I know you love those bits, Edgar. <laughs> this this reminds me of the uh, like the old days um, where you remember you wrote you wrote a couple of pieces where the last couple of lines were like a bit of a bombshell thing and extremely dark. Um, yes. This this reminds me of that because again, actually we're no actually I'm jumping forward. We'll talk about that later. Um, okay. Let let me go through the chronology of questions here. Uh, the first okay. one is. Um, I may be mistaken because I often am, um, mm. but it feels like there's a lot of new names here, correct? Yes, these are all new characters. So yeah. can I give you, can I get you to give us a rundown of roughly who these people are? Paint a profile of some of these people and, you know, their connections to one another. Sure. So Servi and Enclan are a married couple and Mapnir is their son. Mapnir's son. And they inhabit where? Otyev. They, they live in Otyev, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, and Servi is 
working in another city. She works in Zhikav. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, Enclan is basically was minding his own business, really. Um, some bad stuff happened and he spoke up against it. And then yeah. he was he was harassed and uh, uh, threatened with legal action or whatever, imprisonment. And then he escaped and uh, we don't know where he's gone. Yes. Correct. So he, he essentially, he saw the, the the bailiffs arrest his his downstairs neighbor on what were clearly totally false, totally spurious accusations. Um, and, and he was just like, no, hold on, come on now. I think he wasn't even being... Um, aggressive or anything about it. He was like, she can't have a printing press in there. Um, and he got arrested for interfering. And uh, this is Velina. Velina, yes. Velina is his his downstairs neighbor. And then who is uh, Niruna, the the writer of the letter? Uh, she's just another woman who lives in the same building. Same building as Velina, and And Enclan and Matnir, yeah. Okay. And where Servi like lives when she comes home to, to, to see the family. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, grand, grand. A lot of new names. That's that's we don't we don't often get that from you. Um mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um so the this is got shocking like um like Gestapo vibes to it. Um like soldiers coming in to homes, looting them, taking people out of their homes. Um it's quite dark. The revolution, mm. the revolution should be upon us, correct? Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, the the what else was it? Uh, oh, I enjoyed the nomadiers. Except mm. I'm assuming that's like the the mutiny on board the nomad. The people who did that, they've now become the nomadiers, and they've become a little bit, um, I guess, sanctified is probably strong, but um, they've become so, yeah, they, they, they've become a symbol. They've become a symbol. They've become like the mocking jay. Is that the correct reference? Hunger Games. Uh, she becomes a symbol. Uh, I guess, yeah. What I was actually thinking of there was, um, it's not, it's not the, the same situation exactly, but for anyone who's seen The Expanse or read the, read the first few Expanse books, um, I was thinking of the cant. To remember the cant becomes a, a slogan that's, that's, uh, like graffitied, um, quite, quite often. Um, and it's, it's also, it's a ship. It's, it's a vessel. That's it. I, that becomes I, symbolic. I watched a couple of episodes of The Expanse and that I was reminded that's a ship, yeah. I need to go yeah, watch that yeah. show, but that show isn't on anything that I have. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's, it's worth a watch. Yeah, everyone says that. I've not heard mm-hmm. anything bad about The Expanse. Uh, but anyhow, anyhow, um, back to this. I find, yeah, I find it a bit mad that maybe I have a, I have a bad misunderstanding, a bad understanding of what a printing press is, but like in the ye olde times, printing presses were like quite big things, correct? Uh, I guess, yeah, I'm, you probably could make small ones, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it had to be at least, you know, the, the surface area had to be the, the page and then there was machinery around it and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, but I just find it a little bit hilarious that they're all like, there's a printing press in here and I'm, I'm imagining like some sort of like really cramped small apartment and then mm-hmm. being like, I can't even fit like, you know, my child in here, let alone a printing press. I find that really funny that they were just like, yeah, no, clearly printing press. Like we just want any, any excuse to come in here and like harass you. And, and why necessarily her? Like what was the motivation? Like is, is Velina somehow linked to, do they suspect her 
of being linked to the nomadiers or whatever? Or is it just general, they're just going around harassing everyone left, right and centre? Uh, probably not to the actual, the the OG nomadiers, but um, yeah, maybe they think that she's a, a strike organiser. Maybe they think that she's uh, kind of in, in communication with seditious elements, something like that. But as far as we uh, or, know... Or it could be just random reprisal. But as far as we know, Valina is not. Valina is just happily going, well, maybe not so happy, but going along, leading life, and that's it. Yeah, as far as any of the, the, the people involved, as far as Servi certainly knows, Valina was just minding her business. Yeah, it's mad. Um, and Arvix, you mentioned he was likely to conceal a gun battery or a tamed Arvix. Yeah. Arvixes, remind me again, these are the monster things? Yeah, they're sort of like a, bird a giant, yes, kind of a giant flightless bird kind of thing. Yeah, we haven't heard from the, the monsters in a while. That's 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 the whole thing. Yeah. Um, the, the last was the Urselk. The last was, yes, yes, who made an appearance last show. Yes, yes. it certainly did, <laughs> certainly did. Uh, and I guess the main point here that I have um, is, oh, I have two, two small points. I really enjoyed the sort of the broadsheets when they are circulated, no longer tell us what passes in the other cities, just banal tales of local society and local trade. Mm-hmm. There is, I don't know, I think... I don't want to get like too into current politics going on around the world, but it does feel a little bit like um, it hits home because a lot of uh, media, um, sometimes media decides to share not so important stories in order to de- to take away from having to talk about the important stories. And uh, I feel like in the world at the moment, that's kind of happening in places mm-hmm. um, without getting more specific than that. And this kind of hits home because it's it's basically the same thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, we're not going to discuss like the impending revolution. Let's just hear a tale about like uh, Lady Lady Whittlespoon from, <laughs> what's, uh, what's her name? From Bridgerton, the gossip. Oh yes, I don't. I don't know. I haven't watched that much Bridgerton. Okay, but let, let's 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 just basically hear from Whistle Down. Whistle Down. That's it. Yeah, let's just hear from the local gossip of what the rich people are doing, and like you know, it's just it's just par for the course, kind of, and it's really sad. Mm-hmm. And then the final point on my end is uh, the 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 last little bit, the italics. Oh my God, love it. Letter intercepted in the possession. Letter intercepted in the possession of known Urthani agent. The author has been arrested and is awaiting secondary interrogation. Secondary interrogation. That <laughs> that implies that the first interrogation didn't work. Ergo, I'm imagining they need to up their uh, interrogative practices in the second round. Correct. Uh, that's that's certainly one one thing you could take from that. <laughs> that's bad. Um, but I guess if, if this has been intercepted into possession of an Urthani agent, and assuming that Urthani agent is actually an Urthani agent, then mm-hmm. I mean, we can draw the conclusion that at least some of the characters in this piece do have uh, connections to um, mutineers and uprisers, etc. No. No? No. I mean, like... The Urthani are just, like, guys who have boats. Oh, so, so basically they just arrested the postman. <laughs> yeah. Now, they, they, they are seen as kind of a, a, a malign foreign race um, to an extent. I mean, that's that's a bit of an oversimplification. But yeah, they, they, they are seen as, as an other. Um, uh, but, you know, for someone who wants to send post from one place to another uh, without 
being caught doing it by the the companies or by the, yeah. the kind of Abeski authorities, that's a way to do it. Give it to the Arthani. They have their own networks. Oh, and I guess I guess the companies would be cracking down on that because they'll want to try and intercept any communication that would go through their means. Those exactly. Means, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. That's, oh, there's more to that last line than I actually give them credit for. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, okay, cool. Those are my points. Um, the tension is rising. I love it. We're going to get to open warfare. It's going to be great. We're going to see <laughs> a city destroyed. Wonderful. Um, what are your What are your some of your points or uh, some of your yeah some of your talking points here? Um, some of my talking points. I think you pretty much hit it all. Um, yeah, I think I think I think you got it all. I mean, yeah, the nomad is obviously that's the reference to the the mutiny on the nomad. Um, and yeah, just like even even saying actually, I I, I don't think she does have a, an illegal printing press. Um, in a in a calm manner is enough to get you. Uh, persecuted um and thus like have to flee the city with your son um yeah you you, you pretty much hit everything i think the and sorry just the the police force here um mm-hmm. who, who are they ultimately do they ultimately answer to like who's employing them is it the companies not not exactly no so the bailiffs are like kind of the the city government essentially are the kind of the enforcers of the city government but they, it's it's not exactly like a a a police force and a system of laws as 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 we would have. There's no a clear analog, um, but they are in large part um, working on behalf of the companies. Yeah, because the you know trade has to be protected and the companies are so powerful. Yeah, and the, yeah, the companies hold a whole bunch of clout. So so yeah, I exactly. think these the cities aren't ran by the companies. Uh, in not in, formally, no. Yeah, in, in theory, but in practice, they have such power that what they say basically happens. Yeah, yeah. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, well, where do you see this going next? Can you tell us anything? Um, I haven't. I haven't really decided exactly. I, I, I certainly want more to happen with the Nomad. Um, mm-hmm. and there are a few a few other threads to pick up on. Like we, we have a few, uh, Tamari officer characters. Yes. Um, or at least two that have written letters. Actually, no, a lot more than that. It's, it's like various kind of science officers and scouts and such. Um, so I need to, I, what I need to do is I just need to sit down and kind of like compile a proper, uh, kind of Bible, kind of lore guide for my own use to, to make sure I keep track of everything that I've said and, and figure out what the different, refresh my my memory on what I was thinking when I wrote things and then figure out how I can tie it together. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe something something more with officers perhaps the next day. Okay, cool, cool. Um, did, you, did you, just a bit of a meta point here, um, did you foresee this happening with the writing? Because we just, I can't remember why we started this, but we suddenly started like Bill does world building and, and I interrogate it. Um, did you foresee this happening? Like we, we've, you've this whole like world going now with like lore and a and backstory and you're talking about making a like big Bible sort of thing. Is, is this a thing that you had anticipated? Cause I don't think I did. I thought we'd just do like random short stories, but now we have this like super narrative that's going on. Um, not, not really. No, I hadn't, hadn't thought about it. Uh, and a, a lot of, 
a lot of stuff a couple of years ago was just it would be a, a kind of a, a neutral bit, not tied to anything else, or you know, it's kind of a mm. one-off thing. Um, but I'm I'm enjoying having the, this this ongoing thing and and telling a sort of something longer form in this epistolary format. Epistolary format, nice. Uh, I'm intrigued to see what happens uh, post some sort of like civil war or uprising. Because um, mm-hmm. like whilst it'll be very fun, obviously, to read about various skirmishes and battles and people maybe being killed oh, we could lose some characters maybe yar can die <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it'd be fun deeply see- frustrating all of his many creditors <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah but it'd be fun to see what happens afterwards like because uh, again you know uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's not a case of like there were problems then there was a big fight and all problems were resolved i'm very intrigued yeah. to see how how society like shakes down mm. afterwards so I, i'm in this for the long burn bill that's um when you mentioned the, the hunger games there that's something i think the hunger games did very well especially considering kind of the the age of the target audience like it was it was a it was a messy result and it wasn't neatly resolved and there was there was nastiness within the revolution and yeah i mean uh, the hunger games are quite quite good aren't they do people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's what i'm saying i think i think they're they're there's a there's a lot more depth to them than you might assume but i think i think uh, most people uh would agree with that um i don't know just the way you said it there it implies uh seemed to imply that it's like um that that's not a thing that people immediately would have been aware of but i thought the consensus is the hunger games are quite most people generally quite quite think they're think they are good books and movies uh i would hope so yeah yeah speaking of good movies just sorry just a bit of a tangent here are you excited for avatar 2 um the sequel to the m night Shyamalan film uh no the other one (laughs) (laughs) i i am not excited for for avatar 2 i have not seen avatar 1 (gasps) oh what yeah I have no interest in it. Wow, that's mad. That is mad. Uh, I don't know of anyone, barring yourself, who hasn't seen Avatar 1. Like, it's... I'm kind of fascinated by what a non-entity it is in in the popular imagination. Like, it it just seems to be, like, entirely forgotten about. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um... Yeah, for my, like, in my little world, it's not entirely forgotten about because you have, like, Napfi and the biology things and all that crack. But I think in the in general zeitgeist of culture, yeah. it's just it's just a non-thing or whatever. Um, I suspect had he released further movies in a decent time frame. Yeah, not 11 years later or whatever it is. Correct, now. yeah, yeah. I think that might have reinforced Avatar a little bit. Um, but that just never happened. Um yeah, it's 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 mad. I am incredibly not excited for it. I'll go see it just because um, because I think it's going to be a train wreck, and uh, I want to see said train wreck. But uh, I can't imagine anyone is hyped about this. Like, <laughs> who would be hyped for Avatar two? Yeah. Um, although although there is a chance this could actually be putting aside like you know problems like for example like the spec biology and that is from what I've been told by people who know more about this than I do is just complete awful nonsense um putting aside things like that i think because avatar 2 is going into the sea uh, and james cameron really really likes stuff to do with the sea i think he's a isn't he some sort of like deep sea explorer as well like as a side hustle 
Um, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, did, did he do? Did he do Titanic? He did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident he has. He actually does stuff with, with the ocean. Um, he he just loves the ocean. Um, and maybe if we're going to bring Avatar two into the sea, maybe it might be a better result because that's his like happy place. Mm. Don't know. We'll see. Uh, but so yeah. is is he going for like an elemental theme? That so the the the, the last Navi were they like air, and this is the sea one, <laughs> and then there's going to be the the Avatar like it's like subterranean Avatar. And then in the fourth one, everything changed when the fire navy attacked. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going there for a second. I was like, oh no, wait, no, this is this is shockingly clear. <laughs> oh dear. Um, okay, Servi, uh, Niruna, Mapnir, Enclan, done. For now. I mean, so okay, so it's fifty-five minutes into the show. And there will be some cutting. Uh, and we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick room here. While we're kind of on the topic of, like, uh, films and media and things like that, mm-hmm. um, I have just a really, really quick point about something that was came up in the previous show uh, that I caught wind of uh, this week. I said ages ago that um, it'd be really cool if in um, the various like historical England TV shows that are out there, um, mm-hmm. like The Last Kingdom and Vikings and things like that, um, the it'd be really cool if someone just spoke like Old English or whatever, Middle English or whatever it would be at that time time period. Um, mm-hmm. And I was bemoaning the fact that no one no one did this. I was watching Vikings Valhalla, I think is the name of the show. Mm-hmm. And there was this one really fleeting scene where one of the characters meets some pe- random peasant woman and they exchange a brief conversation into what my ears was, Old English. And was subtitled, lovely. Really enjoyable. And it was really immersive. It was as immersive as I thought it would be. So shows need to do more of that. If you're going to set things in ye olde England, just have at least some characters speak ye olde English. It's not that hard to do, I don't think, uh, given the amount of money and effort we put into creating conlangs for various shows. Um, just doing a little bit of like, yeah, old English would be yeah. would be just a treat. Um, so that's my point. Vikings Valhalla did a thing. I like that thing. More of that thing is needed. Have Have you seen Vikings? I have not seen Vikings. No. Um. It's. Quite good in in some respects. Uh, first, I think the first two seasons are quite good. Um, totally, totally historically incoherent. I mean, that can be okay though, if it, as long as it's not setting itself out to be historically incoherent. I mean, it was. I, I kind of got the impression it was sort of presenting itself as a, like a, you know a good history thing. Oh well, then no. Um, but it's it's yeah, like just baffling stuff in it. Um, such, such as? So, Ragnar Lothbrok, who is a potentially historical character, and if he's not actually a historical character, then he was a historically uh, a historically fictional character, you get me? Like, he, yeah, he, was, yeah. he was written about historically. Um, Robin Hood. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, he 
leads the 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 raid on uh, Lindisfarne, which is like a, a you know famous. I think it's it's quite an early um, Viking raid in in England, um, and he was far too young for that to have been the case. That that happened before his birth, hmm. um, and he is also present at the the siege of Paris. Um, alongside Rollo, which he would have been long dead by. Like those, those are like really far apart in, in like they're like decades and decades and decades apart in history. And they're like 10 years apart in the show. Um, and it's just a totally kind of, un, like it's kind of unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like they were doing it to, to kind of make a certain thing out of his character that just kind of you didn't need to do. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Yeah. So that was there's there's little stuff like that that I was just, it's like it's kind of why would you why would you go to the effort of making these historical allusions and historical events, um, and then make them take them out of context so much, um. Mm-hmm. Although actually, I I have an even even uh better example of of a of a similar. Um, historically incoherent thing that I that I encountered recently. All of Star Trek: The Original Series. Um, I'm I'm not familiar with that period of history, so I can't really say. <laughs> what the period of history being like future Earth? Yeah. <laughs> what's, um, what's the example you got? So uh, I recently played a video game Ooh. called Rise: Son of Rome. Okay. Um, which is well, it wasn't particularly good. It was fine, kind of uh, combatty um, thing where you, you play as a Roman soldier. It's got a kind of an interesting framing device and narrative and stuff. Um, but you, it, it, it's it's trying very very hard to hit kind of all of the critical Roman kind of cliches that you need. So you play as a Roman soldier and you you travel to the. You travel to Britain to put down uh, a, a rebellion. So, do you know Boudicca, the, the no. queen of the Asene? No. So, it was a historical rebellion against Rome. Um, but you're also Nero is the emperor, and those like they they kind of match up his, historically. I think they're, they're, that you can just about get away with that. Um, but then later in the game you become a gladiator because obviously it's a Roman thing and it's doing all the cliches. So you have to be a gladiator and you fight Commodus in the Colosseum. Commodus being Joaquin Phoenix's character from the film Gladiator, mm-hmm. who was a historical emperor who did fight in the Colosseum, but that was way later. Again, that was a couple of generations afterwards. Um, so it like jams those things together. It doesn't really make much sense. Um, and then at the end, this is the best part in the final level of the game, uh, Boudicca's rebellion invades Rome, which again, total nonsense, never happened. It was crushed totally within England. Um, and Boudicca rides through the gates of Rome on the back of a war elephant. Uh, did you not bring this up before? Oh, did I? I seem to remember war elephants going through the streets of Rome as being a thing that you've, you've railed against before. Like in the last two months? Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's something else. Or maybe it's to do with Hannibal going over the Alps in with war elephants. That seems he did to, do that. 
did do that. Maybe we were talking about that. I can't remember. Um, oh, yeah. man, that's really embarrassing if I brought that up the last day. No, I don't think you brought up... No, well, you certainly didn't bring it up like last episode, but just something that you, I thought you bring up, brought up in the past. Maybe I'm just conflating one uh, incidence of war elephants with this incidence of war elephants, and uh, the two are actually unrelated. Because, um, I mean, war elephants are cool. Like, why would you not talk about them? It, 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 in This show is prime candidate to at least some stage during its running... Uh, during its run, talk about war elephants. Uh, yeah. So I guess. Well, I, I hope. I hope it wasn't like a, a very recent one because no, that would be. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like it was. It was in the last. It was in the last two episodes, maybe. But otherwise, I think we're probably okay. So come here to me. Why are we talking about historical inaccuracies in video games? Um, <laughs> Let us down this road. Uh, my criticism of Vikings. Oh, yes, I, and that came from... I was watching Vikings Valhalla, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in general, though, I'm okay with the historical inaccuracy as long as the thing doesn't set itself out to be historically accurate, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, because it's just that's just a failing on goals. Um, like, uh, I've, I've said numerous times before, like, Final Fantasy X is one of my favorite games. The best game ever created, as far as I can tell. Um, and I will not hear otherwise. Um it, it just mishmashes cultures from all around the yeah. world. Like, there's no tomorrow. Like, you have, a, you know, uh, named characters or entities are like Bahamut, uh, Yojimbo, uh, Ifrit. And these are all, like, um, real-world things from various mythoses. They're just all slammed together. But at yeah. no point is this game trying to be like, you know, I'm... I'm yeah. I, I know I'm... This is set in, like, you know, India or whatever. Um, yeah. That I don't mind, but when when if someone sets itself out to be like this is we're doing a thing, we're doing it accurately, and then it's not, then it's bad. It's like with Avatar two, going back to Avatar, not Avatar two, Avatar one. Um, I'm told that there was lots of hype around when it came out that like you know the world's leading biologists have got together and they've all like tried to like make this spec bio project as like plausible as possible and really like get the details right. And again, from speaking to spec bio people, I know it's just completely fails on that ground. If they were just going for, I want to make cool looking monster things, grand. But if you go, yeah. I want to make a serious spec bio project with cool looking monster things, they've completely failed in that. So it's all about goals yeah. and what your goals are. Um, and, and, and to be clear, okay, I'm not, uh, you know, they, they weren't trying to make a historically accurate wrong game. It was explicitly, we want to do all the cliches and, and make it really, really fun, which yeah. like they, they, you know, they they did have a lot of fun cliches and stuff in it, um, but it's still it's it's entertaining. Yeah, and that yeah, that sort of thing can be hella fun. Um, yeah. You had a thing on the Northmen, the Norsemen, North, the Northman, the Northman. What is the Northman? Um, so this is uh, another Viking thing, in fact. Oh. Um, so it's a it's a film that that just recently came out. Um. Uh, and it's it's uh, essentially a, a Viking tale of revenge. A, a, a prince um, sees his father get murdered, and then twenty years later, he he kind of returns for revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched it recently, and it's it's quite interesting. There's a lot of extended hallucinatory sequences in it, and stuff happens in it where you're not really sure whether it's it's real or whether it's a hallucination or it's symbolic or metaphorical in some way. Um, it's, it's, it's not clearly delineated on the screen when stuff is real and when it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, 
there, there, I think there might be a thing to it that it's it's trying to do a very straight telling of a mythical kind of story, like stuff that would just kind of happen in a Norse myth, um, which wouldn't happen in real life, but it's just filming it as a, a thing that happens. And did you see what I mean? Not, not even slightly, Bill. Okay, so <laughs> there would be fantastical elements in in mythical stories, right? Or th- like things that like can't actually happen yeah, would yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. And this is just a film in which stuff just happens and it doesn't necessarily make sense, but it's just playing a mythical event totally straight. I see, I see. Okay, is that it's not- just it's just like if this happens. Um, and it's not in an explicitly fantastical setting. Like, it is set in uh, Iceland in, like, 915 AD. Um, so there, there, there's kind of... But, but it's not clear that is necessarily what is happening. It might be symbolic. It might be um, a hallucinatory. Um, so, there's, hmm. there's, yeah, there's kind of a, a, a kind of a fun atmosphere to it from, from that point of view. That seems shock and disorientating. It can um, be, yeah. It can be quite. And maybe perhaps a difficult watch in terms of keeping everything on the straight and narrow and who's doing what and what's going on. Um, mm. Yeah. Can't say I'm compelled to watch it, Bill. Uh, I'd, I'd give it a try. I'd give it a try. Although um, that being said, I am going to, I'm, I'm looking for things to watch. Because, um, you know what? Okay, this is not world-building related at all. This is just Edgar complains about the state of society. Um, I am... Uh, I'm thinking about getting rid of Netflix um, sure. because of the various things that they've been doing of late. Um, they've raised their prices uh, and then they've also said that they want to start bringing in ads. And I'm like, cop on. Um, because like if I'm paying for a thing, like no ads, like it's quite simple here. Like this is the, this is the contract we engage in. Like I don't want to have to pay for a thing and also mm. get ads. I may as well just be watching normal television then. And I yeah. also feel like Netflix's quality of shows have really gone down of late. They seem to be making just like a whole bunch of garbage and not really much that is amazing. And every time I do find a show that I think is really good, it's like nearly always just a one season thing and then that's it. Mm. Um, so I'm really disgruntled with Netflix. I'm thinking about getting rid of it and then finding something else to watch on a different platform. Um, and actually, while we're here, chat, uh, p- emailers, um, recommended platforms here because uh, I don't know what, what's available in Ireland or not, but I know we have Apple TV Plus. Uh, we can get Prime. I don't know if we can get Hulu or HBO Max here. I don't know if those are things. Um but like, yeah, let me know. Disney what, Plus. We, we have Disney Plus, but I find Disney Plus also a bit rubbish. Um, like I don't, there's not really much on there that I'd sit down and watch. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm looking for, I, I, I would like a, a platform, a bit like HBO, where, because again, I don't think we have HBO here, where it's like, they don't make a whole bunch of shows, but they make shows, when they make a show, they'll stick to the show. And the shows also tend to be, fairly good so it's not just throwing crap at a fan and seeing what sticks mm. um any recommendations from you bill and also listeners let me know you got anything for a service yeah like where do you watch telly what do you do um netflix and prime, prime. mainly H- how do you find prime um there's some good stuff on it i'm watching the boys at the moment the, ex- the expanse is on prime isn't it 
certainly the last few seasons were were made for Prime, so yeah. I, I don't know whether the early ones are there or not. I assume they are. Um, how yeah, are you, there's, how are you feeling about Netflix? Do you, um, you think I'm totally off base here with my criticisms of wanting to get rid of them? Uh, I haven't I haven't watched much on it recently. Uh, I watched Russian Doll recently, which I which I enjoyed. I thought it was was a, the first season was a good watch. I haven't finished the second season yet. Is that Groundhog Day, but with uh, with drugs? Uh, I mean, there's not that much drugs. There's a bit of drugs, but it's Groundhog. Um, Day. It's from your one from Orange's New Black, isn't it? Yeah, and Natasha Leon. Yeah, yeah, and she actually show ran the second season as well. Oh. Um, and I, I I really enjoy Natasha Leon uh, mm. and stuff. Um, yeah, the first first season is is quite good. Okay, Prime, interesting. But yeah, th- th- that's sorry, the Russian Dolls on Netflix. Um, yeah, there's there's not a huge amount on on Netflix that I have been following, and also uh, they they haven't gotten the the latest season of Brooklyn Nine Nine yet, the last season of Brooklyn Nine Nine yet. So not a thing that I, I'm 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 into. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Let me know, folks. What what do you recommend? Not many shows good quality shows willing to stick with shows i don't want just loads of crap one season things um yeah. let me know what you think let me know what you think um anyhow that was a bit of a weird green room uh to cap off what is a bit of a weird show <laughs> <laughs> have you got anything else to add i don't think i do um the final thing i will say though is that next time we talk we are going to uh review a book called cooking in ancient civilizations by Katty k kaufman um i th- w- there's a slight issue with this book in that i got my copy like a week or two ago and just skimmed through the pages and it looks very much like this isn't kind of like a write-up on um like culinary history it's it's kind of more like just a straight up cookbook with some historical notes um but i've already sank in the money to pay for this thing um and i kind of don't want to just abandon that so what what bill and i were discussing before we recorded is that we will review the book as we usually do talk about any sort of historical culinary points that come up and but in case that isn't enough to make an entire kind of section i might actually go ahead and cook maybe one or two of the recipes from the book and we'll do a bit of like a, a food review so like edgar reviews ancient mesopotamian porridge or something <laughs> <laughs> which either is going to be extremely interesting or extremely dull and i kind of don't know but i'm excited to find out maybe it'll, maybe it'll be so kind of like dull it's kind of fascinating it could be as well. It might also be horrific listen for people. Like people might be like, uh, this entire episode was just Edgar chewing in the background. Uh, so that might be a whole thing. But I have a new mic, super sense, a super quiet mic, so I can just push away the mic and you won't be able to hear anything. But anyway, pick yourself up a copy of Cooking in Ancient Civilizations by Katty K. Kaufman. Links in the show notes. We will be talking about that next time we talk. Um, and assuming that that's everything, correct? I believe so. Thank you, folks, for watching. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show on Patreon. Links are in the show notes. Thanks for being in chat. Hi, chat. Um, Cheers, chat. And just, yeah, thanks for just engaging us in general. We will uh, we will see you next month. Um, and until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.